morning, good morning, and happy 4th of July weekend. Glad to see you all here today uh, to worship Christ with us. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and make your way to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And if you are uh, new this morning, thank you for worshiping with us and just encourage you to stick six, is what we say, stick six weeks so we can get to know you a little bit better, you get to know us a little bit better, just see what we're about as a church and if this is where God desires for you to be a part of as we run after his mission for his glory. All right, so we've been going through this series, Everyday Worship, over the last several weeks. We've been looking at different areas in our life that a lot of times we don't always think about that as a platform for worship, um, but we looked at marriage, we talked about the gathering together of, of believers, we are looking at work today, and then next week we're going to look at rest. So all of you that are here today be like, oh, work, oh, we got to talk about work, it's a, it's a long weekend, right? Like, we don't want to talk about work right now. Come back next week, we're going to talk about rest, and so you can enjoy that next week. So Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Before we read this passage today, uh, my kids, I have three kids, uh, 10, 7, and 4. They, they love to build things, and so Legos are a big deal to them. They like to like put together Legos they all have in their room, different kind of Lego areas that they build things. And imagine if I went out to the store and I bought them um, a big Lego project, a big Lego house for them to put together, the Home Alone house, all right? Uh, it's four, close to 4,000 pieces to put that thing together. Imagine if I bought this box before I gave it to them, opened it up, and I took out the pieces. And I'm like, okay, I'm only going to put 400 back in there. I put 400 back in the box, and I give it to them. Hey, here is a Lego house. You see the picture on the front? Like, that's fantastic. That's great. Now I want you to put it together. They open it up, and they start taking out these different Legos, and they start to try to put the pieces together. And they're like, Dad... Our, our house doesn't look like that house, right? <laughs> like, there might be a random door over here or a random window over here, but like, it would be a shell of what it was meant to be because it only had 10% of what it's needed to build that, right? Like, imagine if I did that. Like, that would just be cruel. So I didn't do that for my kids, but why do I tell you that? <laughs> I tell you that because a lot of times what we do with our lives is we look at our lives and we're like, okay, what we're going to do is have different buckets of our lives and we'll have the church and worship bucket. You know, that's where Jesus hangs out. And then I'll have my family bucket and I'll have my hobbies bucket and I'll have my rest bucket and I'll have my work bucket. Have all these buckets so they're all kind of spread out and Jesus is over here. But if you look at just the eternal salvation and the church side of things, you try to like boil that down, that would only be about 10% of your life at best, right? And this whole series has been pointing us to this, that God cares about every single one of those areas of our lives and desires for every single one of those areas to be lived as worship to him. Now, by the grace of Jesus Christ and his goodness, he'll look at us and even if we give him that 10%, He'll still build a really nice door, really great window. But the reality is we're a shell of what we are meant to be if we only give Jesus a portion of our lives. And this passage today, as well as many others that we're going to look at through Scripture today, highlight one of the most important areas of our lives in which we are to worship Christ in. I mean, a large part of our lives are consumed and dominated by work, right? Whatever kind of work it would be, whether it's homework for school, 
whether it's housework or yard work or job work, all these different areas are work and it chews up so much of our time. And Jesus, in this passage, we're going to hear from his word, is looking at that area that consumes, I don't know, 80, 90% of our lives and says that matters. That matters and that platform should be lived as worship to me. So let's see what God says in his word to our work today, starting in verse 17 of Colossians chapter 3. It says, and whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, he's going to hit several categories in the next few verses that I'm going to read that we've already talked about. So let me just encourage you, if you're wondering about these next few verses that I'm about to read in a, in a depth of understanding, hop on um, Apple Music, find our podcast, you can download it there or on our website. But you're going to see he talks about marriage and parenting, and then he's going to get to work. So verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, and husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now he's going to bookend where he started in verse 17. Whatever you do, it's a reminder, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word that speaks to us. Um, Lord, this is a, a dated book, but it is not an outdated book. Lord, it still speaks to our practical everyday lives and calls us in our practical everyday lives to glorify and to worship you. So Lord, I ask today that your word would be a, a lamp into our path, that we would be able to see how you desire for us to live and to work. This important area that devours so much of our time and our energy, God, I pray will be lived as worship to you. And Lord, at the same time, I pray for those in this room or those that are watching online that may be underemployed or unemployed, that are looking for work. God, I pray that you would just give them comfort peace, that you would provide all that they need, and Lord, that you would help them see your truth for their work and for all of our work today. God, would you speak to us? Now in this moment of silence, let me invite you, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, to pray and ask that God would speak to you through his word today. Just take a moment now in this silence to pray to him. Pray now. Pray also for me as I look at this passage and many others that, that teach us how God views work and even how we view work sometimes, that I would be able to communicate God's truth to us clearly. Pray for me now.
Father, give us understanding to your word that we would be doers of it and not just hearers only deceiving ourselves. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, what I want to do is kind of look at our view, our kind of default views on work. And as we look at these or talk about these views that we kind of have in our hearts and our minds, then I want to kind of lay alongside it God's view on our work and just kind of see how they compare and contrast. And so the first kind of default view that you and I probably have on work is this, that work is just a necessary evil in our lives. That work is just a necessary evil in our lives. What I mean by that is we tend to view work uh, as a burden, something we have to carry or hurdle over and in order to get to our parts of our lives that are leisure, the unnecessary parts of our lives, right? If we didn't have to do all this work, all these things, then we could just get to living, right? That's kind of how we view work. And we see this everywhere, this kind of view of work is just a necessary evil, whether we see it as this or not. Uh, we see it even when we drive around town. I don't know if you've ever seen these, but these bumper stickers, like, I'd rather be golfing, right? Like, that's just, man, I've got to go to work, I've got to do this. Once I get past this, then I can do what I really want to do, what life is really all about, that leisure, I want to go play golf. Or maybe you've seen, uh, I'd rather be swimming, or another one that's really popular is, I'd rather be fishing, right? You see these on the sides and backs of cars. Now, I have never once, maybe you have, I have never once been behind a car and seen a bumper sticker that said, I'd rather be working. Man, I'd rather be working. Like, no. <laughs> Why? Because our mindset is work is just a necessary evil for us to get to swimming, to golf, to fishing. Once we can get through that, then we can actually enjoy our life. But this way of thinking, I don't think is how God created us nor designed work to be in our life. You see, a lot of us think that work was created because of the brokenness in this world. That's not what we find in Scripture. God created work. God created work for us. Satan didn't create work. Our culture didn't create work. God created work. And the reason why he did that is because he created us in his image and he is a worker. And so we are called to reflect him. And God, as a worker, looks at us and he says, it is good for you to work. It's good for you to work. So he creates work for us. The book of Genesis chapter 2, so this is the very beginning, very beginning of the Bible, very beginning of the time. It tells us, his, he creates Adam and Eve. It says that he took man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. Now, the context of this is extremely important, and the timing of this is extremely important. Because in Genesis 2, rebellion against God hasn't happened yet. Our sin of choosing our way and our will over God's will and God's way hasn't happened yet. So right here in Genesis 2, this is a little sliver of what heaven is meant to be like. There's no sin, there's no brokenness, and God in the midst of that moment creates work and gives it to man to do. This is important. This is important to us to understand this. God didn't say, well, because you sinned, because you did wrong, now here's work and now you've got to work. No, he created us to reflect him and made work and made it good. We find that God, as he created all this stuff and he puts man to work, he looks at his creation and he says, this is good. This is very good. Work is a gift that God has given you and I 
to do for his glory. And once again, when we do this, our goal with work is to reflect him because we are created in his image. Let me say, if you're struggling with knowing who you are or why you're here or why you're made or what's going on, who am I? you got to come back to the one who created you, who the one who made you in his image. If we take God out of our lives and out of our thoughts and we try to figure out who we are, we'll come up empty time and time again because we're created to reflect him. We're created in his image. So the more we know about him, the more we're going to understand how he's created and designed us. And God created and designed us to work and reflect him. You see, the very beginning, we see God working to create all things. Absolutely. But then every single page throughout Scripture, every single month, year, decade, every single historical event, God is working. He's a working God. He's always working to redeem His people. He's always working to rescue. He's working to provide for us. He's working to heal people. We see Jesus come on the scene. He's working as He preaches. He's working as He prays. He's working in all these different areas. Our God is a working God, and he looks at us and says, you work too. Work is not evil. It's not evil. God has created and designed us to work. Psalm 104 says it like this, but in different words. Psalm 104 says this, God made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time of setting. God, you made darkness and it's night. When the beasts of the forest creep about and the young lions roar for their prey. And it says man goes out to his work, to his labor until the evening. Do you see what's happening right here in Psalm 104? It's highlighting what happened in creation, how God created and designed everything. And in here he says when we look and we see the moon, we see the moon, we see the different seasons of the moon, we look up there and they're like, Man, we can learn something about our world. And yes, that makes sense. It's fitting as we look at the moon as it marks its seasons. Or when we look at a sun that sets over the ocean and we see this beautiful sunset and we're like, man, that's gorgeous. That's beautiful. That is a fitting thing. God's like, yeah, that's the way I've created it. That's the way I've designed it. When we look out at those animals that, that roar at the night and hunt for their prey like lions, we look and we're like, yes, that's what a lion is meant to do. That's what a lion was designed to do. And each one of these things that he's highlighting through creation, we're like, that makes sense. That's fitting. Yes, I get that. And then the last thing he mentions in this passage here is, look at the man. Look at how he works and how he labors until evening. He's saying, look at the moon. Look how it's created and designed. Look at the sun. Look at what it does. It sets. Look at the lion and what it does. It hunts. And look at man. What is he supposed to do? He works. God is showing us that this is not a, a necessary evil, but this is a blessing and a call for our lives to work as unto him. And honestly, I, we might be frustrated with work at times, but our heart knows this truth. That is a gift from God. Even when work is hard, when we finish it, there's still a sense of joy that we have behind it. Right? I mean, if you do lawn work and you go out and you mow the grass, it could be 100 degrees, it'd be hot, you'd be dripping sweat, and you're like, this is miserable. And then when you finish up and you take a look, you're like, man, look at the lines. Like, I even double cut it so it looks like a baseball field, like both ways, right? Like, it makes you feel good in that moment. 
Or when you paint a room in your house and you paint that room, you might hate painting. I don't know the depths of your hatred towards that, but I know some people are like, I hate it. Give me anything else to do. But when you paint something and you finish it, you look and you're like, man, that wall was white and now it's purple. Like, there's a sense of like, oh man, that feels good. That's what we should get from, from work. And that's what God would say to us. Created, I've designed you to find joy in this. Now, some of you are like, well, Ryan, that is not how my job feels. That's not how I feel with work. And if work was created in order to be a gift for us, and God designed us to work, then why am I so wearied and frustrated by work? Why? Well, the book of Genesis tells us the reason why. In Genesis chapter 3. Now sin, rebellion, the fall is in this world and it's broken. And God looks at humanity and says, because of your rebellion, because of your sin, this is the consequence. He says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Now work is hard. Work is wearisome. Work has the sense of brokenness that we feel in it. And it's because of our sinfulness that has brought this into the world. Now there still can be joy with work and there's still a call to do work. But now there's a different sense as we work in a broken world. You see, now our work is infused with futility. Now we do get weary and frustrated by our work. And it isn't just broken in the sense of back then at that time, as God spoke to Adam and Eve, nor this time in the book of Colossians, but we see it in our time, and we understand it. Now back here in Colossians 3, you might say, Ryan, where do we see brokenness in work in, in, in Colossians 3? You just read this. I don't see it. Look at verse 22. Verse 22. There's a very important word that starts there. And it says bondservants. Bondservants. This is a a, a form of slavery at this time. And a lot of the Roman Empire was a part of that. Over a third of the people in the Roman Empire fit into this category of bondservants. But when we read this, it's a red flag for us. Like we see this, we're like, wait a second, that, that doesn't seem right. What in the world is he doing when he mentions this right here? Well, one, he's appealing to where these people are. Many of them fit in this category. And he's telling them, this is how God desires for you to live in this broken world. This is how God desires for you to work in this broken world. And this does highlight the brokenness because God created work as a good thing. A thing to to provide for us, a thing that we could use to serve other people. This is why God made work, and we took this thing, this, this good thing of work, this gift from God, and now we're using it to exploit other people. That's what we find even in this moment. Now, with the bond service, let me explain a little bit about how people became bond servants, because it's different than what happened here in the 1700s and 1800s, the atrocity that that was. It's a little bit different, but here, some of the people became bond servants because of, they were POWs. 
If Rome went in and they conquered another city, they would take those people in the city that were still alive, they would enslave them, they'd bring them back, and they would have to work in Rome in one of those different cities. They were a bondservant. They're exploiting them, right? So that's one way. Another way is at that time, they didn't have credit cards that you would swipe if you didn't have money. You would put yourself forward as a debt. So you're like, I want to be able to buy this. I want to be able to do this. And so some people would willingly put themselves in as a bondservant in order to purchase something that they would have. So they would be a bondservant for a period of time in order to get something that they wanted. But all of this at its heart is a sad picture of what God has created work ultimately to be. This is a picture of the brokenness in our world. You see work which was meant to provide for us and to serve those in need to worship God through it, now people in this time and in our time are using work as a leverage of injustice. I mean, do you see how broken our world is? This good gift to glorify God is now being abused. This is not what God's intent was for us. So the question is, <laughs> then how do we work in this, this kind of environment? How do we work in a broken world? Do we just not work at all? Is that like what God's calling us to do? Because we would all say, yes, it is a broken cistern right now. It's a kind of broken world that we live in, so we should just not work. No, that's not what he says. In verse 23, he says, whatever you do, whatever, work heartily. God calls us to work heartily. And that word for heartily is a word they would use to talk about the soul. Like with a sincerity of heart that you would work with all of your heart as unto the Lord. Even in this broken world? Yes, especially in this broken world. That believers, that Christians would work in such a way that looks different from our world. Instead of exploiting people, we bow the knee to help serve and care for people. That looks different. That looks foreign than what a world of unbelieving people do. God calls us to do something different, to work heartily. But the temptation of our heart, when we look out and we see the brokenness of this world and the weariness in work and the struggle that we have in work is just to be lazy. That's oftentimes our response as we look at this world. God looks at us and says, work. Absolutely. It's a command. Work a job. And then when you work, work heartily as unto the Lord. Many of us are like, Work's hard. And I don't want to do a hard thing heartily. That's even harder, right? And so we default to laziness. And God's word speaks to that clearly, many places. But in Proverbs 26, verses 14 and 16, it says this, talking about a lazy person. It says, as a door turns on its hinges, so it does a sluggard or a lazy man on his bed. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. All right, so what is this passage saying as it talks about laziness? What is it, what is it highlighting here? When he's saying that, man, a lazy person just doesn't want to go work. They're like a door. A door just you know, goes back and forth on its hinges. Lazy man's like, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to be at work all the time. I've got an excuse for every reason why I shouldn't work. And so he just stays in his bed and does not work. And then it's interesting, that last part of it where he says, a sluggard's wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. What is he talking about there? Now, when somebody who loves their laziness and refuses to work and, and sits in that sin, if they're called on it, they've got more words to excuse their sin than seven wise, educated men. 
That's what it's saying. Seven men with all this sensibility can speak all this stuff. And a lazy person, one person, has more words in defense to say why they should be lazy. Be honest, this is a, this is a way for us to hit default in our work ethic. And God's like, no. Christians should be some of the hardest working people that you find out there. We should work heartily because we're working as to the Lord. Now, we have to be careful of the other extreme of this. Because the, the other extreme of laziness is that you become a workaholic. And you look at the sin and you're like, I'm going to work so hard and everybody's going to pat me on the back. And if we're not careful, what happens is we start, start to work so hard, but it's not for the Lord. We start working heartily as unto the applause that I get as people pat me on the back. Overworking is something that our culture looks at and says, that's a respectable sin. That's a good sin in your life. Like, you just keep that up. You keep working those days. I don't think it's an accident that God in his word just talked about marriage and family, and then right after that he talks about our work. So much of us can sacrifice marriage, family, friendships for work, and we start to work, and we start to labor, and we start to pour out all of our lives working for those who will pat us on the back. But if you look at what verse 23 says, it's to keep your focus on why you're working. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men. Don't give in to that temptation that, man, I'm going to get that pat on my back and that applause and that makes me feel better. So I'm going to give all my energy and all my effort for that. No, you don't work as to men. You work as for the Lord. And that should make you work far harder than any earthly boss that you have. Some of us look and we're like, I work hard because I love my boss. Like, my boss is great. He cares about me. He cares what's going on. And so I work and I labor and I work heartily as unto him. That's not what God says. He says, work as unto the Lord. So whether your boss is good and that's a great thing that you enjoy working for him, or whether your boss doesn't deserve your hard work and you're like, man, he's a terrible boss. Even then God says, yeah, but you're working as unto me. You might say, well, God, he doesn't deserve my hard work. He may not. She may not. But Jesus does. Well, they don't, they don't deserve me to be on time and to, and to work these. They don't, they don't pay me enough. They might not. But you work as to the Lord, not for that person, and ultimately not for the paycheck. It's for the Lord in which we work. And so may we keep our focus in our work to work as unto the Lord. Work is not a necessary evil that we just have to get through in order to get to the weekend. It is a gift from God meant to be used as, as a way, a platform to worship Him in all of our lives. So maybe we look to Him in that way and worship Him in that way. Another default thought that you and I probably have when it comes to work is that, Ryan, work is pointless because no one even notices or cares. See, some of y'all heard me kind of pour out that whole first section of like work heartily as unto the Lord, and you're like, Ryan, but nobody cares. My boss doesn't care if I come in two hours late, two hours early, or I stay two hours late. They don't, nobody cares. Nobody knows what I do. Many of us look at our jobs that way. We think they're just meaningless. We, we shuffle meaningless mounds of paper from one desk to the other, some of you are like, I dig holes for a living. Like I dig a hole, 
They come and they look at it and they just fill it back up with dirt. Like there's no point in what I do. There's no purpose in what I do, right? Some of us can't see anything noble about the task that God has given us to perform. But what this passage is going to do is it's going to show you that God sees. God knows what, he, what you do. And he's going to give us the, the right motivation which should drive us to serve him. And to, to look at our work not as meaningless but as a, 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 a means to glorify and to worship God. And some of you, please don't check out right now because you're thinking, Ryan, you don't know my job. You don't know how menial my job is or you don't know why my job really doesn't matter. And the reason why I say don't check out is because I think verse 17 and verse 23 are for you if that's what you're thinking today. Verse 17 says, and whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's pretty broad. That's pretty broad. Whatever you do, that includes everything. And then if you miss that, he says it again in verse 17, do everything. And then you get down to verse 23, and he's like, hey, guys, don't check out. Those of you that think it doesn't really matter what you do, again, whatever you do, whatever you do, work as for the Lord. This means every interaction that you have, not just the spiritual ones, not just the, the churchy ones, everything that you do, do it as unto the Lord. When you sit down at your desk chair and you open your inbox and you start your day, do it as unto the Lord. When you meet a coworker for lunch, you do that as unto the Lord. When you get off your job early to play golf or to catch a movie with a friend, you do that as unto the Lord. Everything. This is what the whole series is about, the Everyday Worship series. This could be our verse. This could be the, the whole thing for this section. God cares about every single part of your life. So do not look at your life and say, this doesn't matter. God doesn't care about this. God cares. He cares deeply. And he's telling you why you work and how you work and, and giving you the, the reason for your work. This is what he's doing. In this passage in verse 24, he's telling, he wants us to know something. Verse 24, he says, knowing that. There's something mentally we have to understand that's going to end up fuel how and why we work. And he's going to tell us it's this. Knowing that. What are we supposed to know? That from the Lord, you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This knowledge is the why we should work. This is the challenge before us. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive your reward. God notices what you do. God cares when no one else cares what you do for work. This should encourage us richly that no matter what our lot is in life, God sees, knows, and respects what we do when we work as unto him. And we get this blessing of understanding, yes, we get a paycheck now to help pay bills and buy things that we want. But as believers, as we work as unto the Lord, we get a double portion, right? We get these earthly wages that provide our daily needs, right? But what this passage is telling us is that our God looks and he sees and he also rewards us. Don't miss the fact that the Lord provides eternal compensation. You see, so often we look at the temporal and we miss the internal. And God wants to take the eternal and shoot the temporal through with worship. In this moment, that's what he's doing. There's an eternal compensation that God gives us as we work for him. 
And I believe wholeheartedly for those of us that have loved and, and trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to forgive us of our sins, to rescue and redeem us, to move us from death to life, for all of us, I believe that one day when we get to heaven and we see how well God pays, we will have wished we would have served him and worked for him harder here. I wholeheartedly believe that. We have to continue to saturate our minds with the truth of God's word that God sees, God knows. God is calling us to work and to serve for him. And that's the second motivation that it ends in verse 24 and says you're serving the Lord Christ. Let that settle in for what you do for a minute. You're serving the Lord Christ. That's who we're working for. Some of you are sitting here right now saying, well, Ryan, dude, that's so easy for you to say because you're a pastor. Like, of course you're working as unto the Lord, right? I believe when this passage talks about whatever you do and everything you do applies to me as well. Well, my first job is I'm working as a go-kart attendant, and I'm pushing go-karts off the wall after people spun each other out. I believe that was unto the Lord. When I was a janitor scrubbing toilets, I believe that that in the eyes of God was for him. I was serving the Lord. When I was working in retail, I believe that was unto the Lord. When I was a server at a restaurant and I'm serving people food, that was, yes, for them, but I think it was much bigger. I believe that it was for the Lord also. This is what this passage is helping us to see. No matter how menial you think your job is or how great you think your job is, ultimately in the eyes of God, all of them are done for him. May we see that and may that fuel us to work heartily, working diligently for him with all of our heart. This is what God is calling us to do. Now let's get really practical with this for a second. Because some of you are like, Ryan, okay, how do I do my job as unto the Lord? Some of you are thinking that what I'm going to tell you is the only way in which you're going to glorify God is to sneak around in your workplace and stealthily have evangelism strikes. Like do all these evangelism strikes and now that's how I'm glorifying God. Because as long as I share the gospel, God cares about that, but he doesn't care about any of these other things. And that's not true. God does want you to be a light in your workplace. And yes, pray for open doors to share the gospel. But I believe that God has a much more holistic view of your work than you and I do. I believe he would look at our work and say, you know what, if you're a pilot, the way that you take off and the way that you land and the way that you treat people, all of that is unto me. All of that matters. All of it. I believe if you're a teacher, the way you put together curriculum, the way you educate kids, the way that you stand up for truth and righteousness, I think all of that all of that is a picture of working as unto the Lord. I had a friend that was telling me about this lady that uh, he knows really well that she was an accountant. She was working at this big business and she heard about the gospel of Jesus. The changing power which Jesus offers to those who see their sin, how they've rebelled against God and come to him that he would forgive their, their, their sins and give them a new heart and a new life. That would literally change their, their, their soul and in that internal change would actually have an external impact. And as she came to know Jesus Christ, she started to live out those truths, understanding the reality like, okay, God, if, if you are these things and you've called me to reflect you in my work, in my integrity, in my honesty, then it changes and shapes the way that I work. And so this accountant working at this big, big business, uh, her, her 
boss one day called her in and said, hey, we've got this new game plan for how we're going to do accounting stuff here. And we need you to be the implementer and the enforcer of this. And so they lay out this whole thing to her, and she's like, that doesn't sound honest. And they're like, no, 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 there's nothing wrong with this. This is just new. This is cutting edge. Like, you've got to try this out. She's like, no, this sounds old, and this sounds illegal. Like, this isn't something that I should be doing. And in that moment, she's reflecting the honesty and integrity that we find that Christians are called to reflect. So she said, after my boss yelled at me and threw the desk and threw things against the wall, they fired me. And every one of her coworkers called her a fool. She looked and she left. She ended up selling all her stock. And, and people were like, why are you selling your stock? Like, this is only going up and to the right for eternity. Like, this is all amazing. You're throwing away your money. You're throwing away your career at this amazing company. Why in the world would you do that? And they're looking at how she's living for Christ and serving Christ, and it's confusing. It's confusing. And they looked at her and said, you're crazy. You're a moron. They said, there's no one that's going to be able to stop Enron. No one. And some of you are like, I don't even know what Enron is. That's the point. This big company of Enron ultimately failed and crashed because of unethical practices. Those of you that know the story, you're like, man, that was a tragedy. That was crazy. Yeah. And this lady, in that moment, she didn't know the end of it, but she knew in this moment, I'm going to stand for what is true and what is right. And I believe that's how we work for God. That's how we serve the Lord, by reflecting Him in our workplace. And it might look a little weird, but there is something alluring about that. And there is something alluring about that. And so, believers, may, may we look at this and Apply this truth to our life. May Jesus motivate us to do our work with excellence and with integrity. With excellence and integrity. Now that might take you time and thought to figure out how do I do my job with excellence and integrity as unto the Lord and not unto man. But it is worthy of your time. If we're called to worship God in this platform that chews up 90% of our lives, is it not worth 10 to 15 minutes for you to sit down and think, how do I worship Jesus in my job for his glory and ultimately for my good? God has called us to work as unto him. So may we do it. May we do it. As we close today, some of you guys will see this picture on the screen and maybe you've been to these different places but this is what our world looks at and says, this is the pinnacle of work. This is the top echelon. This is the seven man-made wonders of the world. And we look at this and we say that, yes, this is the pinnacle of the work of man because of several reasons, right? One, we look at this and we're like, man, that cost a lot. Like, somebody had to sacrifice. I mean, Taj Mahal, they did the math and they said today, if we were going to build that, that'd be over $70 billion in order to build that. We look at it like, man, huge sacrifice. It's beautiful. Or we look at it and we're like, the time. The time it must have taken to build this thing or that thing. And we're like, see, the amount of sacrifice and the amount of time, that's what makes that thing beautiful. That's what makes that work something that we look at and we're like, let's stand in wonder of that. Let's stand in awe of that. Now, we look at that as mankind. We're like, that's the seven greatest works that mankind has done. But let me point us this morning to a far, far greater work. Far, far greater work is the greatest work of redemption of Jesus Christ. 
You see, Jesus is the one. We look at and we're thinking, man, that must have been a huge sacrifice to do those things. Look at the sacrifice of Christ to bring about this redeeming work. He left everything that he had, all of his comforts. He left heaven and came to earth. This broken world with frustration and strife, he came into it and he suffered. He suffered. And he died ultimately on the cross for our sins in our place. This is the work of Christ for us. This is the redeeming work. And it wasn't just the 33 years that Jesus lived here on on earth that he worked and labored for redemption. The Word of God tells us that there's a long amount of time, actually all of time. It says, before the foundations of the world, the Lamb of God was slain for your and my salvation. So when we look at these works of man and we're like, man, look at what it costs. Look how much time it took. We look at the work of Jesus Christ we're like, man, look at the cost. Look at the cost. Look at the amount of time it took. This is the glorious work of Christ. And as we come to him and allow him to change us internally, then it will change us externally. The way that we work is shaped because of the one who has first worked in us. So I would invite you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, that you would come to him, allow his work to stand in your place. When Jesus hung on the cross and he says, it is finished, your debt is paid. And he he died in your place. And if you believe and say, you died in my place, you did a work that I couldn't do. By your works, I am saved and redeemed. You're saved. And then that will be the fuel to the flame of your work in your life. So you no longer work for the applause of man. You're no longer working for the, the next dollar bill. You're working and you're serving as unto the Lord, to the glory of his great name, and ultimately for our good. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your great work and sending your son to die in our place. Lord, and not only did he go to the cross for us, but he lived the perfect life leading up to that, perfectly innocent. For 30 years, he worked the the day in and day out jobs around his house. And that mattered to you. Lord, that was pleasing to you. You even looked at him and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Not because he had done any miracles yet, but because he had been faithful in his work up to that point. And so God, thank you. Thank you for what you did in our place that we couldn't do in order to bring us salvation. And I ask that through your grace and your goodness and your kindness that you would rescue and redeem. Continue your work today in this place or for those that are watching online that you would rescue, that you would redeem. And as you rescue and redeem, Lord, would you create in us a work ethic that reflects you, the God who has worked so diligently for us. And may we see this work as a gift, even a hard gift at times, in order to worship and to glorify you in our everyday lives. Lord, keep us near to you, that we might glorify and worship you every day of our lives. We thank you for your work, Jesus. And it's through that work that we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand down. Let's sing to our King.